Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Bachelor Creek. We are so excited to have you join us today as we continue our Summer on the Mount sermon series as we've been going through Jesus' teaching, his most famous sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be in Matthew chapter 7 in just a moment if you want to go ahead and turn there. And as you're doing that, I want to ask you, what song would you never expect to hear in a worship service? When I was in college, on Fridays, it was freshman chapel. And so every Friday, the freshmen would have a special chapel just for them. The rest of the students would have like small groups, electives, workshops, that sort of thing. And there was a friend of mine who lived on the same hall as me named Tony, and Tony was asked to lead worship for freshman chapel. This was towards the end of the semester. Uh, Tony was getting ready to graduate, and so we thought that he might want to uh, you know, push things a little to the limit. And so we were sitting in the dorm one night talking about what songs he was going to sing, and so he had this set list planned. And uh, Tony was this guy who, who loved rock music. He loved hard rock music. I mean, he loved all sorts, classic rock, 80s rock, everything in between. And so we dared him. We said, Tony, I bet you won't sing Knocking on Heaven's Door by Guns N' Roses in chapel uh, on Friday. And he gave this kind of half smile. He's like, yeah, they, they'd kick me out. They wouldn't let me do that. And we said, oh, come on. You're about ready to graduate anyways. So... <clears throat> We were getting ready to uh, just, we were convinced that he wasn't, he wasn't going to do this, but on the off chance that he would, we were going to be in chapel that Friday. And so uh, Friday comes, we're standing in the back, and he's singing like some David Crowder and Chris Tomlin probably, and then he leads straight into the chorus of knocking on heaven's door. And if you could see the reaction in the room when that happened. So some students who were just unfamiliar, they couldn't tell the difference. They just keep singing along. The words are on the screen. <clears throat> there were, the faculty had their arms crossed, and they were all, you could tell they were upset and mad, and they were thinking about how they were going to punish him, and we were in the back just dying, laughing, could not believe that he would actually sing this song. Now, I have not done a deep dive into the lyrics of Knocking on Heaven's Door. I don't know exactly what Axl Rose meant when he pinned the lyrics to Knocking on Heaven's Door. But I know in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus tells us to knock on heaven's door, he's talking about prayer. And we're going to look at prayer today in Matthew chapter 7. Prayer obviously is important to Jesus because he emphasizes it again here in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, remember, he told the disciples, this is how you should pray, and he gives them the Lord's Prayer. He comes back to prayer in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. We're going to read it together. Would you please stand? For the reading of God's word. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In this passage, there are two sections, verses 7 through 11 and verse 12. 
first off, Jesus teaches us about persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. And when it comes to praying persistently, we see in prayer we have a role and God has a role. Our role is to pray persistently. To pray persistently. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. These are all metaphors for prayer. And the order here indicates a rising scale of intensity in your prayer. It begins with ask. To ask means that you come to God with humility, understanding that you are in need. You are making your request known to God. I don't know what it was like for you, but when I was a kid, if I wanted something and I asked my mom, she would say these words, go ask your father. So I would go ask that, dad, can can Nick come over to the house? Dad, can I take the car? Dad, can I have $20? Right? You ask Because you don't have the authority, the ability, or the power to grant the request, and so you go to the one who does. Ask. Then seek. To seek indicates that you are both praying and you are actively pursuing God's will. This happens when someone needs a job, right? What do they do? That They pray that God would provide them with a job while at the same time, They complete a resume, they uh, apply for different positions, they interview, they seek out leads. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Ask, seek, knock. Knock indicates perseverance in your asking and in your seeking. You've got that family member, that friend, that coworker, that neighbor that doesn't know Christ. And so what do you do? You pray for them. And you speak and you live out the gospel to them persistently throughout their life. Ask, seek, knock. These imperatives are emphatic and they're in the present tense. Which means Jesus is saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. James chapter 4, verse 2, says you do not have because you do not ask God. For Jesus, the bottom line is kingdom people pray powerfully and persistently. We'll say it this way today. Don't give up in prayer. Look up in prayer. In his book, Love Does, Bob Goff tells a story about how he wanted to become a lawyer because he wanted to make a real difference in the world. The problem was he performed miserably on the LSAT, and he didn't get accepted to a single law school. But that didn't stop him. He knew the school that he wanted to attend. And so a week before classes started, he decided he was going to go to the dean's office. And so he walked up, knocked on the dean's office door. The dean let him in, shook his hand, and he said, Hi, I'm Bob Goff. I applied to get into your law school because I want to be a lawyer and I want to make a difference in the world. The only problem is I never received an acceptance letter. The dean shook his hand again and he said, I'm sorry, this is a competitive program and unfortunately we have to turn away many qualified candidates. Now, if that was told to me, I would have said, thank you, I understand, 
walk out the door. But not Bob. He told the dean, he said, you have the power to let me in. I know that all you have to tell me is go buy your books and I could be a student in the law school. It's that simple. You just need to say those words. The dean looked at him, gave him kind of a half smile and just shook his head, escorted him out to the door and shut the door behind him. So Bob looks around for a moment. He sees a bench beside the dean's office door and he sits down in that bench. And he makes the decision that he's going to sit there and he's going to plant himself on this bench, and every time the dean walks by, he's going to say, all you have to say is the words, go buy your books. And he does this not for one day, not for two days, not for three days. He does this for five days. He gets there early in the morning. He sits down in that bench, and he learns the dean's every pattern. He knows when he goes to the restroom. He knows when he goes into a meeting. He knows when he goes to lunch. And every time he passes by, he says, all you have to say is the words, go buy your books. Five days pass, nothing. Classes start. It's the first day of classes. Bob plants himself outside the bench. Students are coming in and out. They're going to their classes. They're getting adjusted to their schedule. Day one, nothing. Day two, nothing. Day three, nothing. Day four, nothing. On the fifth day, now he's been there for a total of 10 days. The dean looks at him, shakes his head, and says, go buy your books. Sometimes getting what you want takes remarkable persistence. This is what Bob says. He says, I've always wondered if when we want to do something that we know is right and good, God places that desire deep in our hearts because he knows, because he wants it for us and it honors him. Maybe there are times when we think a door has been closed and instead of misinterpreting the circumstances, God wants us to kick it down. Or perhaps just sit outside of it long enough until someone tells us we can come in. Man, do you pray with that kind of persistence? That's convicting for me because I don't think that I do. Why don't we pray persistently? Maybe it's because we don't think God cares. Maybe it's because we don't think He'll answer. Maybe it's because we don't think he's able. We don't think God is is powerful enough to answer that prayer. Maybe it's because we're just not that passionate about what we're praying about. We give up after a while because we just don't care that much about it. Maybe we give up because we face resistance. But listen, resistance is to be expected. If we're knocking, then that means that the door is closed. If it were open, there'd be no need to knock. And along the same lines, remember, we're knocking on a door, not a wall. And what is the purpose of a door? It opens and it closes. If we're knocking, that means that is a door that can be opened. So pray persistently. That's our role. What's God's role? God promises to answer. What's verses 7 and 8 say? Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Okay, does that mean that God will give me whatever I ask for? No. James chapter 4, verse 3 says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive, that you may spend what you want, you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So it's clear that God's not going to answer prayer that is done with the wrong motives. So what kind of prayer will God answer? We don't have to look any further 
than the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has already shown us the kind of prayers that God answers. We know that God loves to answer prayers of provision. That when we pray for our basic needs, God loves to answer those prayers. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer that we pray for our daily bread. In Matthew 6, 19 through 34, Jesus tells us, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. He says, my Father knows about those things and he will take care of you. God loves to answer prayers of provision. God loves to answer prayers that prioritize his purposes. God loves to answer prayers that are all about the kingdom. Jesus taught us that we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I simply want to ask you, are you praying persistently for your one? You remember back in January, we did a series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And we challenged everybody to identify their one. Who's that one person in your life? That family member, that friend, that neighbor, that coworker? who doesn't have a relationship with Christ, that you want to see come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we had everybody write that name down, and and we've got it on a four sign out in the lobby. Are you knocking on heaven's door for your one? Or did you pray for a couple of weeks and, and then you stopped? Pray persistently. Pray passionately. How can we believe God's promise to answer? Because we know his character. God's character, he is a good father who gives good gifts. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus uses this same form of argument that he's used previously in the Sermon on the Mount, where he argues from the lesser to the greater. This is what it says in verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. Now, maybe you read that and it puts you off a little bit because you're like, evil? Like, I I don't claim to be a a perfect parent, but, but I wouldn't call myself evil. It's all about comparison, right? Human parents, human fathers are evil compared to God's perfect standard of righteousness. It's all about that comparison. Like, I'm tall compared to my wife, but compared to Shaq, I'm, I'm pretty short, right? It's all about comparison. And the point that Jesus is making here is to get us to consider who God really is. A.W. Tozer says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you know the character of God? When you think of God as a father, What comes into your mind? Because we have different experiences with our earthly fathers, right? Consider the child who has a kind and gentle and firm father. That child does not fear asking his father for things, but deep down he enjoys the assurance that his father will not give him something that his greater wisdom and experience determine are not in the child's best interest. Or what about the child who has an extravagant but thoughtless father? That child will approach his father with arrogance, and he will lay down 
demand after demand after demand, knowing that he's not going to be refused? Or what about the child who has a stingy, hot-headed, and abusive father? He will seldom, if ever, ask his father for anything because he fears another meaningless beating. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that fundamentally, God is good. He is a good father. That is his character. That is who he is. Which means that when we get what we ask for, and when we don't get what we ask for, God is good towards us. He is acting to us out of the goodness of his character. God who gives good gifts may not give everything that every child asks, but Scripture tells us that he will not withhold his gifts from those who desire and seek what is right. In Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, we read that and we think, great, God's just going to give me all my desires. Don't miss the first part of that verse. Take delight in the Lord. It starts with you submitting your life to the Lord. It starts with you saying, God, I want my heart to align with your heart. God, I want my priorities to be your priorities. And when that is your prayer, you begin to delight and you begin to desire the same things that God desires. Psalm 84, verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. God is a good father. And so because of that, our posture towards him ought to be one of trust, and dependence. If we ask, then that means that it comes from God. If we must ask, then that means that we can't receive the virtues of the kingdom unless they are given to us by God. So how shall we approach God? As sons and daughters of the kingdom, we approach God with trust in His goodness and persistence as we ask for the day's supply. God values persistence and passion and prayer because they show that we share his heart. It shows that we care about the things that he cares about. We don't pray persistently to try to overcome God's stubborn reluctance to give us what we ask for. No, we pray persistently because it gives glory to God. It expresses our dependence on him and it aligns our heart more with his. Mark Batterson has famously said, God honors bold prayer because bold prayer honors God. I want to say it this way. God honors persistent prayer because persistent prayer honors God. I believe that. So I want to ask you today, what answers to prayer have you never received because you gave up praying too soon? What prayer have you stopped praying that you'd like to renew today with persistent prayer. Don't give up in prayer. Look up in prayer, in trust, in dependence. Verse 12, Jesus shifts his attention and he gives us a summary statement. He gives us a summary statement in verse 12 when he says, So, in everything, 
do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The verse begins with the word so. And that indicates that Jesus is bringing the main body of the Sermon on the Mount to a close. If we were flying in a plane, this is the part where the captain announced that we have begun our descent and the seatbelt sign has been turned on because we're going to be landing soon. Jesus wraps up this section by issuing a summary statement. And you've probably heard this referred to as the golden rule. But what you may not know is the reason it's called the golden rule is because the Roman emperor Alexander Severus reportedly had this written on his palace wall in gold. And it's simple. When you find yourself in any situation, how do you know what's the right thing to do? Well, Jesus says, think of the way that you would like to be treated, and then use that as a guideline for how you treat others. The negative form of the golden rule was well known at the time. In the 6th century BC, Confucius, he said, do not do unto others what you would not want others to do unto you. And the the Jewish rabbi Hillel, he was a contemporary of Jesus. He said, what is hateful to you Do not do to your fellow man. This is the whole law. All else is explanation. Jesus here takes what is commonly known, he flips it upside down, and he gives us the positive form. Now, maybe you think there's no discernible difference between the two. You think it essentially means the same thing. But I want you to understand that the difference is profound. Here's how the negative form plays out. If you don't enjoy getting robbed, don't rob others. If you don't like getting made fun of, don't make fun of others. If you don't like being hated, don't hate others. Okay, now I want you to understand the power of the positive form. If you enjoy being loved, love others. If you like being appreciated, appreciate others. If you enjoy being comforted, comfort others. If you enjoy feeling valued, value others. The negative version offends no one, but it doesn't accomplish any real good. The positive version impacts culture and influences others. And the reason we do to others what we would like others to do to us is because this kind of behavior sums up the law and the prophets. It sums up the Old Testament teaching. Do you remember in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Okay, if loving God is the greatest commandment, then then why does Jesus say that the golden rule sums up the law and the prophets? It's actually pretty simple. Because the second command will never be obeyed without the first. You can't love others the way you want to be loved without first loving God. You will never treat others the way that you want to be treated unless you love God fully. 
So in this section, Jesus teaches that persistent prayer and radical love characterize life and the kingdom. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah has just finished defeating the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And he tells his servant that it's going to rain. And he instructs his servant to go to the ocean and to see if he can see the storm clouds rolling in. And Elijah gets down on his knees and he begins to pray. The servant comes back and he says, that there, there's nothing, there, there's, there's no clouds, it's clear sky. And Elijah instructs him to go back, he says, go again. He comes back a second time, there's, still it's clear skies. Elijah says, go back. Elijah gets down on his knees and he continues to pray third time, fourth time, fifth time, sixth time, the seventh time the servant comes back, he says, there's a small cloud, just a small cloud off in the distance. And in a moment, the skies turn black and the rain begins to fall. What would have happened if Elijah stopped praying after the second time or the third time? I don't know. But he kept on praying. In the movie Finding Nemo, there's a little fish named Nemo, and he gets caught by some divers, and he's taken to live in a dentist aquarium. And to Nemo, being stuck in a tank is pretty trivial to never being able to see his father again. Little does Nemo know that his father has gone to extreme lengths to try to find his son so that he can bring him back home again. And through rough waters and sharks and jellyfish and unknown territory, Nemo is finally reunited with his father. But it was all because of his father's relentless persistence. There's one line from the movie that's a great reminder of this type of persistence. It's when Dory says to Marlon, the father, do you know what you got to do when life gets you down? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And even though these words come from a little fish, these words are a great reminder of what we should do when we find ourselves in similar situations. Whether you find yourself in unknown territory, you find yourself fighting against battles that seem completely unbearable, you find yourself in a situation where you feel like this just cannot come. These words symbolize what it means to truly persist to the end. So whatever circumstance you find yourself in this morning, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Or as Jesus says it, just keep on praying, just keep praying, just keep praying. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. God is a good Father, and we can trust Him to give us good gifts. So don't give up in prayer. Look up in prayer. Two weeks ago, we gave you the opportunity to come forward and grab a prayer tag with the challenge to commit to praying for a student throughout the school year. If you grabbed a prayer tag, have you been praying for your student passionately, persistently? Did you pray for a couple of days and, and then you stopped? Can I remind you that, that our students need your prayers? If you didn't grab a prayer tag and you would like one, they'll be out at the connecting point and you can grab one today before you leave. And I just want to encourage you, don't give up in prayer, look up in prayer. Knock on heaven's door for that student. 
332 prayer tags were given out. I know there's more. Because in prayer, you're depending on Jesus. You are seeking Him to give you what you cannot get on your own. You are trusting that His ways are higher than your ways. And you're showing that you value what He values, and you're aligning your heart with His. Don't give up in prayer. Look up in prayer. Father, today we come before you expressing our dependence on you. We need you, Lord. Every hour we need you. And so we come to you in prayer. And God, I pray that that our prayers would be persistent, that we would keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. God, I pray that, that our heart would align with your heart, that we would desire your desires. We would take delight in you. And God, we pray that through our persistent prayers that you would shape our hearts and that you would answer. God, I pray for our students as we're two weeks into the school year. I pray for our ones. God, I pray that you would do a good work and and, and your salvation would, would come to those who don't know you. I pray that we'd be a congregation known as a people of prayer. We give this all to you. In Jesus' name we pray.